0: Your seat. If you could uh, make your way to your seats, that would be great. Wonderful to worship the Lord together today and now to gather around His Word. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to them to Acts 18. Acts chapter 18. For the sake of our guests, my name is Chris Patton. I have the joy of serving here at Grace Community Church alongside of my dear friend Jeremy as one of the pastors. Thank you for being with us here today. This morning we continue our series in the book of Acts. While we will read the entirety of chapter 18, our focus today is going to be verses 1 to 17 and the Apostle Paul's ministry in the city of Corinth. So let us now in this moment... Prepare our hearts to be addressed by God himself. This is God's word. Acts 18, we begin reading in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy. testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own hands. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silenced. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth... And beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. Verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. At Sennachery, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. May God bless the preaching of his word and write its eternal truth upon our hearts. When most of us hear the word missions, the first, thing, the first thing that we think of is foreign missions. We think of certain Christians relocating to other parts of the world to proclaim the gospel. And we thank God for people like that. We thank God for people like that, don't we? We thank God for people like Fred and Don Wendelmeyer, missionaries in Thailand, who we support through our partnership with Sovereign Grace. We want to encourage and support brothers and sisters such as these who so heroically lay their lives down for the gospel of Jesus Christ. When it comes to missions, we as Christians very easily connect with and find joy in supporting missionaries and church plants in other parts of the world, and rightly so. For most of us, though, what is more challenging is to view ourselves as missionaries, as it were. And to live with a, to live with a mission mindset right here at home, right here where we are at. I ask you, when was the last time... When was the last time that you thought of yourself, and if applicable, your spouse and your children, as missionaries, as missionaries in the neighborhood and community in which the Lord has sovereignly placed you? It is easy at times to be so preoccupied with the legitimate concerns, cares, and burdens of daily life that we effectively lose our sense of calling and mission to proclaim Christ right here in our own area. The book of Acts to the rescue. (laughs) God gave his church, the book of Acts, in order to impart a deep sense of purpose and mission to every follower of Jesus Christ, no exceptions. Jesus said to his disciples and us, you shall be my witnesses, Acts 1, verse 8. And I trust you agree, that message isn't confined only to those relatively few Christians who are called by God to relocate to other parts of the world. Rather, that message, that message is for every Christian. It is for every Christian in every generation, in every location, in every church. Jesus said, you, you shall be my witnesses. Dear brothers and sisters, God's word informs us. Our fundamental call and mission as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ regardless of where we may live, is to bear witness together to the life, death, and resurrection of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus died. He rose again. He ascended. He is right now at the right hand of God, all authority, in heaven and on earth has been given to him and from that place of authority at the right hand of God the reigning Christ is advancing his kingdom now today unstoppable by the power of the Holy Spirit through the witness of his people and staggeringly we you, me, all of us together. We get, to be part of, we get to be part of what God is doing in the world today. The question of the hour is, if we are to be effective witnesses, if we together are to be effective witnesses in this community, and at this time, what exactly is required of us? This morning, we consider three requirements of gospel mission. Three requirements of gospel mission drawn from this narrative. Effective gospel mission requires teamwork, it requires faithfulness, and it requires Confidence Effective gospel mission requires first Teamwork In this passage the gospel went forth mightily It went forth mightily in Corinth And the result was that A new local church was established How did it happen? Well you'll notice it wasn't just one guy It wasn't just the amazing Apostle Paul planting a church all by himself. Rather, the church in Corinth was planted, it was planted through a team of brothers and sisters laboring together for the cause of Christ. So you have the couple, Aquila and Priscilla. They opened their home to the Apostle Paul. Paul stayed with them during his time in Corinth. As we read, they were, of course, involved in helping Paul beyond Corinth as well. You have Silas and Timothy, Paul's ministry associates. They likely helped to carry the teaching load in Corinth and did whatever else that they could to serve. And you have Titius Justice as well. He was a Gentile God-fearer who was converted under the ministry of of Paul. When the Jews rejected Paul and his message, Christians were no longer permitted to meet in the synagogue. Where then did they meet? Titius Justice home, right next door to the synagogue. Just imagine that. You're converted, and immediately the pastor says, says, Hey, can we have all our meetings at your place? Thanks for joining us. Can we meet at your house, like all of our meetings? That's essentially what happened here. Titius' justice home became a primary outpost for the gospel in Corinth. And assuming he was married, his wife must have been a heroic servant too. Uh, Showing remarkable hospitality as the church would gather week after week. What we see here is that as the gospel advanced in Corinth, again, it wasn't a a one-man show. It wasn't Paul alone doing the work. Instead, a whole group of individuals participated. Each one. Each and every one had a vital role to play. There's an important principle here that has implications for us as a local church, and that's this. Gospel mission is about teamwork. Gospel mission is about a team of individuals contributing their respective gifts, talents, time, energy, money, to achieve a common goal and that goal is a strong, vibrant, healthy local church that serves as an outpost for the gospel in a particular region. In church history, if you read it, typically even the most gifted, the most well-known, the most fruitful ministers of the gospel, they didn't operate by themselves. They operated in team. Many of us are old enough to remember the ministry of the great evangelist, Billy Graham. What not everyone realizes that is that a major part of what made Billy Graham's ministry so effective was the wonderful team of men who served alongside of him. I think I have, we have a picture of a few of them. Not all of these guys, but the team was made up of Cliff Barrows, George Beverly Shea, George Wilson, and T.W. Wilson. So the picture is Cliff Barrows, George Beverly Shea, and Billy Graham. The other two guys aren't in the picture. But they, these guys were a team. and They worked together for the sake of the gospel, and a number of us here have benefited and been blessed by their ministries. One article notes, he, that is Billy Graham, assembled this team in the early 1950s. And they continued with him until they died. Many of them died within the last decade or so. Billy Graham always spoke in glowing terms about his team. And he emphasized that their faithful service was a key element in the success of his ministry. Our story in Acts reminds us, as a local church, we here together, we are a team. And each member of this team member of this team, Team Grace Community Church, if you will, has a critical role to play. It has been said that in most churches, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. This is called in church leadership books the 80-20 rule. That is 80% of all the serving, all the reaching out, all the welcoming of the new people all the hospitality all the evangelism it's all the same 20% of the people doing 80% of the work the problem is where do, where do you find that in your bible where do you find that in the new testament well you don't you don't and that's because it's not there And it's not there, because that's not biblical Christianity. Titius Justice in this passage had it right. He responded to the gospel. He received Jesus. And immediately, he didn't wait. Immediately, he became part of the team that was doing ministry In Corinth. All of the sudden the church was meeting in his house. Now that's the transforming power of the gospel. His life was changed and immediately he's part of the team and serving and helping to advance the gospel and build that church in that region. This gives me the opportunity to say as one of your pastors Jeremy and I, Jeremy and I are extremely thankful to the Lord. We're extremely thankful to God that the 80-20 rule, rule that I just explained him a second ago, that doesn't apply here. It doesn't apply here at Grace Community Church. I actually went through our our mem- I was thinking about this and I went through our membership roles this past week. And I was extremely pleased to observe that most members of Grace Community Church are serving in some capacity. And if you're not serving, we know who you are. (laughs) Jeremy will be knocking on your door after the service today. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Mostly. (laughs) Praise God that most people in our church are serving in some way. I trust you know, brothers and sisters, that is an evidence of God's grace and of the Holy Spirit's activity in this local church. That said, from time to time, it can be helpful for church members in any local church to take time to evaluate and consider, am I doing all that God would have me to do in order to help the team and thereby Advance the cause of Christ. We said it at, uh, at the All Church Care Group the other week. As a pastoral team, we believe the Lord is bringing us into a new season. A fresh season, an exciting season. A season characterized by renewed, zeal for, and commitment to our mission to make and mature disciples of the Lord Jesus. We all here want Grace Community Church. We all want Grace Community Church to to move forward, don't we? We all want Grace Community to move beyond the difficulties of the past several years. We all, every one of us in this room, we want Grace Community to be a joyful church a happy church, a fruitful church in the years to come. What then is the way forward, you ask? Thankfully, it's no secret. The way forward is what we see in Acts. The way forward is laying our lives down together. Laying our lives down together as a team the cause of our dear Savior, Jesus, who gave his very life for us. You know, when I read my New Testament about what it looks like to build a local church that's effective for the gospel, what I see is there are, there are no shortcuts. There are no scriptural shortcuts to doing that. But thankfully, there's no lack of biblical clarity on this matter either. The way forward, hear me church, the way forward for any local church that wants to bear fruit is always and continues to be each member doing their part to support the work. That is the way forward for any local church and it is the way forward for our church now today in this time that we find ourselves as a point of application i just want to encourage you to consider prayerfully before the lord especially if it's been a while since you've prayed something like this lord just a simple prayer lord how do you want me to help the team how do you want me to invest how do you want me to serve for some of you perhaps many of you the answer to that question will simply be remain faithful continue doing what you're doing Continue serving in the ways you already are. But for others of you, as you pray and as you go to the Lord, you may find the Holy Spirit prompting you with new thoughts, with fresh thoughts, new ideas for how you can be involved here at Grace in the ministry here. Maybe you've been involved in one aspect of ministry for a while, yet the Lord, the Lord perhaps maybe He has for some of you something new in the days ahead. A different role or an additional role where where he wants to use you to continue to help build our church and see the gospel go forward. And I trust you all know there are countless ways you can be involved. The first way, and you know this, but just by way of reminder, the first way that we encourage every member to be involved is to participate in care group. Why? Well, because care group is a primary context where so much of the one another ministry that we see in the New Testament takes place here at our church, at Grace Community. Just a reminder, care group is a context not only where we receive, but where we give our lives away as well. And what happens when we give our lives away to others? Well, that helps the team. When we give our lives away to other members in the church, that helps the team, that builds the church and ultimately helps advance the gospel. When we serve and care for others in our church community, other members of the team, that strengthens our church and positions us for greater effectiveness in our mission to make a mature disciple. So participating in care group is a key way that we want to see everyone involved and see everyone serving. There are, of course, many other ways you can be involved in serving as well. You've you've been given a handout. You can even pull it out and glance at it now. You've been given a handout that lists a number of those ways. And as a pastoral team, we just want to encourage you to take that home. This is a tool for you. We want to encourage you to take that home and then pray over. it. Take a time of prayer over that sheet and ask the Lord where he would have you to serve. And then here's our invitation. We would love to talk with you and engage you in conversations about what the Lord is showing you and discover with you how the Lord might have you to serve. Again, for some of you maybe God's just going to show you continue doing what you're doing, but you know the Christian life's an adventure. And God may have other new and exciting things, other ways that he wants to use you. And I'm so excited for how the Lord wants to meet us as we continue to use our gifts to serve the Lord. You've probably noticed one of the areas we're seeking to press forward in these days is in the area of outreach and evangelism. And You need to know Jeremy and I are very thankful for how different individuals have volunteered over the last number of months to help facilitate some of the bread outreaches and and other monthly outreaches that we've done. So, thank you. Thanks to all of you who've volunteered. Another point here. The truth is, in order for us to do all that we believe God is calling us to do in this area of outreach and evangelism, We still need more help. We need more help. We need more volunteers. We have a bread, just for an example, we have a bread outreach coming up in two Saturdays. That's March 26th. We need one or two volunteers to help lead and facilitate that outreach. And then we need, of course, others to participate. So if you're interested in helping to lead or facilitate that, please get to me. That's March 26th. Incidentally, if you have other ideas for outreaches that you would want to do on a monthly Saturday outreach, let's be talking. We're not just confining ourselves to bread outreaches or door-to-door outreaches. You know, We want to be in parks. We want to do other things that are reflective of the ways the Spirit of God isn't just leading Jeremy and I, but leading all of us together as a church. So the 26th, if you're interested in, in helping with that, please get in touch with me. We also have a bridge course that starts on Wednesday evening, April 27th. This is one way, not the only way, but one way we're seeking to do evangelism as a church. That's going to take a team. We want to do evangelism, just like here in Corinth. We, we need a team. What do we need? We need a team of four individuals who commit over the course of 10 weeks to f- facilitate the bridge course. It's a 10-week commitment. You don't have to commit more or less than that. Um, but we need four people who are willing to help run those v- videos facilitate conversation, reach out to the, to the guests who come. So if you would like to participate in the bridge course, if, if the Lord is stirring a heart, your heart in the area of evangelism, if you have a heart for the lost, please come talk to me. You can talk to Jeremy as well. Of course, our One Life initiative continues. Please be praying for your one life and strategizing how you can reach out. All of this is we just we want to be the church of Jesus Christ. When God calls disciples, he makes them fishers of men. And we want to be faithful to that, that calling to the one who loved us and gave himself for us. I remind you again, brothers and sisters, we aren't just a loose collection of individuals who gather for a nice service on Sunday. We are a team. And it is a joy for Jeremy and I to serve alongside of all of you. Our hearts are united in the gospel isn't it wonderful what God does when he saves us? You know, he doesn't just save us to himself. He does, and that's wonderful. But then he unites our hearts together. and This, this, this is a family here, and I trust that the Lord wants to use us as a family that's united in heart mightily in the days ahead for his glory. And I trust that the Lord also wants to give all of you and me as well, all of us together, much joy as we serve him. In Romans 12, Paul calls believers to faithfully exercise their spiritual gifts in the local church. What's interesting is he doesn't just tell us to do it. He exhorts us in response to God's mercy to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, as worship to him. In light of the abundant mercy and love that God has shown us in the cross, dear brothers and sisters, is it not our great joy as an act of worship for the one who loved us and gave himself for us? Is it, is it not our joy to lay our lives down together for his cause? It is. In these days, may our prayer be Lord, take my hands and let them move. And how does it, at the impulse of what? Thy love at the impulse of thy love. May God, by his Holy Spirit, in the days ahead, move us from deep within and renew our commitment to joyfully lay our lives down for him together as a team because gospel mission requires teamwork. It also requires, second point, faithfulness. Effective gospel mission requires faithfulness. When he arrived in Corinth, Paul began to preach in the synagogue to the Jews and to the God-fearing Greeks. Verse 4 says that Paul was reasoning with them, trying to persuade them of the truth of the gospel. Eventually, the Jews had had enough, so they opposed and reviled Paul. That's verse 6. They were done with Paul. They were done with Christianity. They were done with the gospel. How then did Paul respond? Please look at verse 6 with me. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Here we see that Paul eventually came to a point where he says essentially to the Jews in the synagogue, I was faithful to proclaim Christ to you. I was faithful to preach his saving mercies. I was faithful to declare the gospel to you. I've now fulfilled my obligations. So, if you don't believe in Jesus, he tells them, that's on you. If you don't believe in Jesus, that's between you and God. That's your responsibility, not mine. Paul then moves on, as we see in the text, to the Gentiles. And there is, again, a profound lesson for us here, I believe. And the lesson is, like Paul, we must be faithful to share the gospel, but we, we must also always keep in mind, we are absolutely not responsible for how people respond. That is on them. When, many, when it comes to evangelism, many Christians put undue pressure on themselves. They can feel that it's their job to make sure, to makes certain that unbelieving family members or friends respond to the gospel. Parents of wayward children, in particular, often feel this way. Paul's example helps us to see while it is our responsibility as disciples of the Lord Jesus to proclaim Christ, it is not our responsibility to convert anyone. That's God's responsibility. Ultimately, God alone is the one who saves, not the Apostle Paul and not us either. This, dear brothers and sisters, is a great encouragement, and it clarifies what we are aiming for in our evangelism as a church. Our aim our aim, is not to get a certain number of people to pray the sinner's prayer. Our aim is not to be able to say, hey, look what a great church we are. Look at how much outreach and evangelism we do. And our aim, honestly, is not to grow this church to a certain size either. It's not our aim. What is our aim? Our aim is faithfulness. Our aim is faithfulness to our Savior who gave his life for us, and we entrust the results to God. So, yes, we reach out. Yes, we proclaim Christ. Yes, we evangelize, but we do so recognizing that only the Holy Spirit can actually, in reality, save anyone from the clutches of sin and Satan and hell. So I want to encourage us as a church, let's be faithful to love the lost. Let's be faithful to proclaim the gospel to them, but let's also recognize In a very real sense, the pressure, the pressure is off. It's not our job, it's not our responsibility to save. That responsibility belongs to God and God alone, who is sovereign in salvation. Our job is simply to be faithful and then to allow God by His Holy Spirit to save whom He will. So, following the Apostle Paul's example, faithfulness is the goal. That that said, um, by way of application, I think a great question to ask ourselves, a question I'm asking myself, is what does faithfulness in the area of evangelism for me actually look like? God's looking for faithfulness. So I need to be faithful and trust him with the results. Yet I need to be faithful, right? So as, as a follower, as a Christ follower, as a follower of Jesus, I think it's very important for me, for all of us, to ask that question: what does faithfulness in this area? I want to be faithful to the Lord. What does faithfulness in this area look like? So I'd encourage you to prayerfully ponder that question. You've got some homework today, you got the sheet. (laughs) and you've got this question, ponder that question. Maybe even write your answer down. What does faithfulness for me to Jesus in this area of evangelism look like? A kind of plan for personal evangelism, as it were. And then I'd encourage you to share that plan with your care group or with someone who can encourage you and help you to stick to your plan. The reason I want to encourage all of us to do this is because I think for some of us, myself included, I think it's important that we get evangelism out of the theoretical category at times. You know what I mean by that? It's important that we get it out of the category of what we should be doing and put it in the realm of the practical, what we actually, by grace, are on the ground doing. And I believe God wants to help us. And if we lack motivation in this area of our lives, you know, we have a gracious Savior. Let's make that a matter of prayer before the Lord as well. Let's ask the Lord in prayer. Lord, soften my heart. Soften my heart. Lord, help me to see the lost people I know as heading to eternal punishment in hell. And Lord, help me to love them enough to reach out to them and to share this glorious news of what you have done. And not only that, let us pray that God would give us greater joy in the gospel and in Christ himself as well, such that we would be be compelled to share. I think that's part of the problem why we sometimes don't evangelize. It's because our hearts are not filled with the joy of the Lord. God has been so gracious to us in saving us and sending his only son for us to rescue us from sin and death and hell. And I think that if I and if we were more filled with the joy of the Lord and our salvation, we would be more eager to share. It would just come out of us. No one would have to tell us to evangelize. It would just come out of us. When we're talking to friends and neighbors and relatives, we just want to show people the love of Christ and share the gospel. Why? Because we're so happy. We're so happy and we're rejoicing in what he has done. So may the Lord fill our church with joy in the Lord. That's a fruit of the joy in Christ Jesus. And then may that then overflow into evangelism. And by God's grace, may we see conversions here at our church. Third requirement for effective gospel mission, it's confidence. Let's look at verses 9 to 11. Keep in mind the context is the extreme hostility of the Jewish leaders towards Paul. Acts 18, verses 9 to 11. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision. So there's hostility, threat, persecution, even death. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. Notice what God says next. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. I want you to notice here what gave the Apostle Paul confidence to persevere in the mission. I want you to notice what gave him confidence to stay in Corinth and to teach the word of the Lord in spite of the persecution. that he could possibly face. What gave Paul confidence is that God told Paul that he had many in this city who are my people. In other words, there was a specific group of people God had sovereignly predetermined to save in Corinth, and God tells Paul essentially essentially this, I want to use you to save them. I've got many people in this city who are my people, And I want to use you to save them. And with that assurance, in the midst of fierce opposition, Paul stayed. Paul stayed proclaiming the gospel. Reflecting on this incident, J.I. Packer writes in his excellent book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. He writes this. Luke's emphasis reflects Paul's conviction based on Christ's own assurance to him. Thus the sovereignty of God and grace gave Paul hope of success as he preached to deaf ears and held up Christ before blind eyes and sought to move stony hearts. His confidence, okay, Paul's confidence was that where Christ sends the gospel, there Christ has his people. I want to read that again. His confidence was that where Christ sends the gospel, there Christ has his people. Fast bound at present in the chains of sin, but due for release at the appointed moment through a mighty renewing of their hearts as the light of the gospel shines into their darkness and the Savior draws them to himself. He goes on to say, Paul's confidence, Paul's confidence should be our confidence too. Brothers and sisters, as we seek to reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, let our confidence not be located in any evangelistic method, strategy, or technique. Let it not even be in one day having a certain kind of facility or in having more people attend our church on a Sunday morning. Instead, let our confidence for the advance of the gospel through us be, as Dr. Pachter exhorts, in God who raises the dead. Let our confidence be, as he urges, in the Almighty Lord who turns people's hearts and who will give conversions in his own time. Packer goes on then to give very wise pastoral counsel, in part as an application of this passage. And his his counsel is so good, I can't improve upon it, So I want to pass it along to you. He says that in the work of evangelism, in the work of gospel mission, the confidence that God alone saves should cause us to be bold, patient, and prayerful. Bold, patient, and prayerful. It should make us bold. Why? Well, because we know that ultimately salvation comes from the Lord, not us. And he can save, our God can save even the most stubborn, obstinate, hard-hearted sinner. If I know that God has people that he has sovereignly chosen to save and that he uses the proclamation of the gospel to save them, well, then I can boldly, with full confidence in God, proclaim Christ because Christ delights to save sinners. This confidence in God should also make us patient should make us patient. Packer notes, God saves in his own time and we ought not to suppose that his, he is in such a hurry as we are. <laughs> Do you have friends? Do you have family members? Do you have children who don't know the Lord? Who haven't yet responded to your preaching of the gospel to them in spite of repeated attempts? If that's you, I want to encourage you, be patient. Don't ever stop loving them, and don't ever stop proclaiming Christ Jesus to them. Have they been lost for decades? Don't ever stop loving them, and don't ever stop preaching the gospel to them. The reality is that God's timetable often is not ours. He often is at work in ways that we can't comprehend. God is sovereign. He is at work. We don't always know what he's up to, but he is at work. And we never know when a moment of breakthrough might in a second come. We never know when the Holy Spirit is going to come and in an instant, shatter the darkness that those that we love and care about are in. And He will cause new life to be birthed. We don't, we don't know when He might do that. so we can be, But we can be patient and trust the Lord with that. Lastly, this confidence in God should make us prayerful. When we realize that God can save, this should cause us and that God has people that He intends to save, this should cause us to fall on our knees in prayer. It should cause us to cry out to God and to ask Him to do what He alone can do and to move, to ask the Lord to move upon the hearts of unsaved loved ones, neighbors, coworkers, and friends, Oh, the Lord has so much for us, dear church, as we will but get on our knees and cry out to him and ask God to be God and to do what God alone can do. God has many in the Satterton, Harleysville, Franconia, Green Lane, whatever area, who are his people. So let us pray and pray some more that God would bring them home to him. Pray together. Let's pray together as a team for the lost around us. And let's unite as a team and allow the Lord to use us. I do want to just ask the band if they could join me. In summary, today we learned that as Christians and as a church, our mission requires three things. What are they? Teamwork, faithfulness, and confidence. Let's say those three things. Three things out loud, all right? Teamwork, faithfulness, confidence. We learned that our mission requires teamwork. God advances the gospel in specific locations through people working together as a team. Okay, that's what we see. That's the biblical pattern. Therefore, since we see it in scripture, we should be confident that God will advance the gospel here through us as we work together as a team. Second, we learned our mission requires faithfulness. We are not responsible for conversions. Isn't that comforting? It's releasing. It's so encouraging. We're not responsible for conversions. God is. So do you have unsaved friends, family members? You long for the Lord to save. Be reminded that's not your job to save them. Only God can do that. But maybe we'd be faithful to share the gospel and to reach out as the Lord gives opportunity. And don't forget the little assignment in there. What's your plan for evangelism? Share it with somebody. Let's see this word of the Lord today. I believe God wants it to, to, to go beyond today and really bear some real fruit in our lives. Care group leaders, that might be a good discussion to have uh, with your care groups. Is what's, what's your plan, personal plan for evangelism? Finally, we learned that our mission together requires confidence. We we saw that in this mission God has called us to, we have every reason to be confident. As in Corinth, God has many people to save in this area, in this city. And you know what? When God... Where God has people, he's fully committed. God is fully committed to saving his people and pulling them out of darkness. Therefore, we can and should confidently proclaim Christ. And then, watch what he's going to do. Watch what the Lord is going to do. The Holy Spirit is at work. And let's pray for the Lord to use us. God, we thank you for this time in the Word. Lord, we thank you that you delight to use your people as a team. And, uh, Lord, there's nothing impressive about us. We're just sinners who have been saved by grace, adopted into your family. Lord, we are thankful for what you've done for us. I just want to pray a blessing over our church. Lord, I pray you'd fill us with the joy of the Lord in the days ahead. Fill us with joy in Jesus, joy in his salvation, joy in his love. And Lord, I pray that our joy would be so significant that we would be like a cup overflowing. That what overflows is your love to lost people we know. Lord, use us to proclaim your love and your gospel and all of God's people said together. Amen.